0: Hello, listener, and welcome back to Versify, the Poetry and English Literature podcast. I mean, (laughs) I am genuinely excited uh, this morning uh, as we sit here all assembled uh, together. I would like uh, to welcome, first of all, you, listener, but also two people who you will have heard on the pod before. I'd like to uh, welcome David. Uh, Good morning, Dan. Uh, And Robin. Hello, everybody. It is me, Robin. Um, I think that uh, perhaps we should just let the listener know a little bit about our physical context, David. Do you feel up to taking the listener through that? <laughs>
1: Wait, I was going to say good morning, if it is still the morning.
0: Right, uh, yes. I
1: arrived here at 9am. An hour and 17 minutes ago by my clock. <laughs> <laughs> Since which time there's been a lot of stuff. How would you describe it? Te- uh, technical shenanigans, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, um, you, you mostly seemed like you knew what you were doing, Rob. Oh, uh, yeah. You, well, you, you were yeah. on it. We were just kind of standing around. We spent we just, a bit of time looking for stuff
2: on the floor. Looking for a nut that dropped out of a microphone thing. Yeah, we've got all new equipment, listener. All new microphones. We've got a mixing desk, believe it or not. It it looks so proper. It looks yeah. legit. Dan's even got a pop shield because he's so sibilant.
0: <laughs> we decided. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I hope, listener, that all of these uh, technical innovations um, enhance your uh, listening experience, uh, as you say. Maybe not this morning, mid this afternoon, even in the evening, whatever and whatever time it may be that you are listening to this podcast. I think I said many uh, pods ago. My, my, you know, my, 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 my images is is, a, is a possibly of a listener. We've had one driving across America, haven't we? Listening to our, our podcast, we've yes. had uh, yeah. What what other activities do you think people might be doing whilst listening to this podcast?
1: Um, I think people probably do housework. Housework. Of yeah. some kind while yeah. listening.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's quite common, isn't it? Washing up, perhaps. Yeah. Could be happening right now. Um, I like to think at least half our listeners are making sweet love. <laughs> 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 well, At it, least, well, it, if you yeah. are, if you are in that fifty percent of the we're deal the Barry White of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. Well, on that, uh, on <laughs> that, on that note, um, let me uh, say this morning I am excited to uh, say that we're going to be talking about the poet Shelley, Percy uh, Bysshe Shelley, no less. Percy Bish Shelley, uh, no less. Um, we will get into uh, a little bit about what we what we do or do not know about Shelley in a moment. Um, normally on the pod, we have a little bit of a catch-up about our last uh, pod, but it was so long ago, I don't imagine either of the guys have got anything to add. So I'm going to give you an option, um, so I should put you on the spot. Uh, you could either perhaps say something about our last pod, uh, or something that you've done in the intervening period of time. It's been a long time When was it? Like March? It could have even been February. It was a long time ago. I've been working a lot. I've been working hard. I've done two jobs okay. since then, Okay.
2: simultaneously. Yeah. So, I've been busy. I've been really busy. I've been working in London a lot.
0: Yeah. Moan, 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 moan. Excellent use of uh, repetition there. David. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I haven't really been doing anything. But uh, (laughs) what what I was going to (laughs) what I will do is to uh, uh, use the opportunity to. Mentioned. we haven't had any real kind of formal correspondence unless robbie you haven't checked the email for ages of course as always possible no, no, it comes through in my regularly but um one thing we did have quite recently actually which is heartening to see was a kind of uh what's the right word exhortation okay to record again because yeah. it has been quite a long time from somebody who goes by the name of uh a girl getting by okay um in california who very sweetly uh, tweeted something along the lines of it's like a demand. Uh, we need another podcast. We need more uh, witty chat about poetry. I think was the was the phrase, and the, I like that. And Do you I, know anybody uh, who does one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say the the use of the word "more" there um, implied to me that, uh, that
0: she's she in that we really. think. Yeah, she thinks that <laughs> the uh, the previous chat has okay. been witty. That's well, continuous. that's very nice. Well, anyway, the girl getting by in California. If you if you are listening to this, uh, thank you for that exhortation, and uh, we hope you'll. Enjoy this one. Um, gentlemen, we are going to hurtle uh, like a snowball-gathering volume in a cartoon. Actually, I was going to say into the into the pub quiz uh, section, but just before I do, when I say a, a snowball-gathering volume <laughs> rolling down a hill... I'm glad you're pausing on this, yeah. Um, when would you say it was the zenith of... Cartoons, not 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 Termite a CG. Terrace. Yeah, well, Warner Brothers. Yeah,
2: hundred yeah. percent. Looney Tunes.
0: I mean, was, Chuck it, Jones.
2: was it a multi-decade and all? No, it's the fifties. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think by the early sixties, it had all gone to Penelope Pitstop. I'm not saying there wasn't some fine Hanna Barbera work in the sixties, but right. eventually... The 50s, Termite Terrace, Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes. But coming out of the 40s, Tex Avery's no slouch. Okay. Tex Avery in the 40s, okay. there's
0: some incredible stuff he did. And then That's it's, the golden age. it's a weird trajectory, isn't it? Because it's sort of the quality of the animation dips a bit, as you say, sort of, yeah. into the 70s even. Yeah, it's terrible in the 70s. Nothing nothing good happened in the 70s yeah. in Japan. Yeah. 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 And then it all comes good again
2: in the, the 90s. 90s. Well, even Disney has a massive slump, doesn't it? After, I don't know, sort of, when's the last good one? The Jungle Book. That's sixties, isn't it? Yeah, that's with the last good one. Right, and then in the seventies, it's all drek. Right, and then you get up to like the Black Cauldron and the Fox and the Hound in the early eighties. They're really bad, and then it's not until Beauty and the Beast in eighty nine that it all comes good again. Okay, was it Jeffrey Katzenberg, someone like that, took right. out of Disney, and then went. right? Let's hey, has anyone thought about making films that aren't terrible for thirty years?
0: Yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying, and probably probably the critical consensus would, would agree with you and possibly there's sort of um, money statistics that would support your argument as well. Um, I'm sure there are in terms of Beauty and the Beast being a big hit, but I quite like the fox in the hand.
2: And it's the not, it's not It's not the Lion King, Aladdin, La- the Little Mermaid... No. Be in the base, they're yeah. considered. That's considered the renaissance yeah. of Disney. Yeah. And then, then after that, it's the yeah. Pixar pick it up, and it's off. You're off to the races. What are we talking about?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I was, I was waiting. Sorry for, yeah. for Dan presumably to cycle
0: back to. So anyway, the reason why. Just I oh, know. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just seeing the image of the snowball gathering. That's it seemed like a cartoon image. Anyway, it does allow me to say something a bit spiky. I was going to say, <laughs> and now all films are bloody cartoons.
3: Oh, very. Spiky.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um. um Right, Pub- could have said all this when we were testing the kit <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: Pub quiz question, I will go first. Shoot. This is a, a spoiler, um, a bit like a, at the start of Romeo and Juliet when they tell you that they're going to both die. Um, I'm going to tell you that Shelley uh, died at the age of 29, which uh, was obviously a tragedy in, 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 in multiple ways. My question to you is this. What happened... To Shelley's body and why? Right.
1: Well, he died in, in a boating accident. So, in 1822, I think I do know this actually. I think wasn't he kind of
0: cremated on a beach? That is absolutely right. He was cremated on a beach. And why was he created? Uh, why was he cremated on a beach? Because his body was too badly disfigured. They didn't want to send it back to his missus. Incorrect. Damn it. Well,
1: they wouldn't. It would have taken so long to transport the body back to wherever he was likely to have been buried that, it, yeah, it would have gone horribly mouldy. Yeah, so I guess that, isn't it that is that not the reason?
0: Um, you you actually, I don't think I'd give you the mark for this. What happened was his body was burnt on the beach when it eventually washed up, and that was because in uh, that particular part of Italy. There was a law which all bodies had to be um, burnt for um, public sanitation reasons. Um, I guess in those days that was just like considered to be the the best, the, the healthiest way of dealing with it. And his ashes uh, were buried. Do you want the bonus question? Where his ashes buried? Yeah, I think
1: I like this. Well, it's somewhere in Rome. Yeah. Isn't he? not it really? Is it the same cemetery as as Keats?
0: I think it must be.
1: And the have to Rome more than once, and somehow both times failed to visit. Oh,
0: that is very poor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, given your record generally uh, exactly. on visiting the literary graves. Never mind. Yeah. Coliseum. Um no, I didn't get out to Keats's grave or and I didn't realise actually that Shelley was in the Protestant cemetery at Rome, either. So Okay. I'll keep well, you know, okay is my verdict on your response to that Quiz <laughs> question.
2: Uh, so does anyone else have a pop quiz? Well, I, mine, mine, I, mine is going to follow hot on the heels of that one by being um, essentially the same question. No, <laughs> no, I've just had to look one up just in the last moment or two because I didn't have one because I was and fiddling around with the kit. Um, but my question is, the Keats Shelley Memorial House is at which famous tourist destination? Are you sure
0: it's the Shelley Memorial House? Isn't it just the Keats Memorial House? It's both. Yeah, I think it is. It, is it? Really. OK. So very specifically a place.
1: Not just yeah. a city. Well, you've got the well, city. The city is. Right.
2: Yeah.
0: And it's at the. I have been there. I know the answers to this. Good. Well, then this is the moment to tell us. Well, OK. Um, It is uh on the just off the Spanish steps. Is the correct. In... Answer. See, I thought that. And then I thought it can't yeah. be. Because why? I've obviously been to the Spanish, step. I mean, it oh, the Spanish steps. It overlooked the Spanish steps. Are you not going to tell us that you haven't been there?
1: The Spanish steps, yeah. So why did I not go a few yards to the left or whatever to see two
0: massive oh The breaks? It's the memorial sure. memorial. You house. you well actually I'm gonna just I'm going to rub uh lemon juice into your uh wound here because when I went to Rome, uh, of all the things I did, going to the Keats Memorial House off the Spanish Steps was the most astonishing. I can't believe you didn't go there, man. What the hell?
1: Back to rhyme, Dave. Yeah, that's not helping. <laughs> <laughs> There's the lemon juice. Um, <laughs> Do you like it? No, I, was but... too, I was too busy getting mugged. That's, what I was, oh, that's what why I, was, I got pickpocketed by a gang of teenage girls in one of the more extraordinary experiences of my young life. Gosh.
2: I feel like we need to know a little bit more about this. Yeah, come on. There, us is up. A big,
1: there is a story. Yeah. <laughs> 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 they proceeded to flash me repeatedly. Their boobs? Yep. And, and other bits. In a sort of choreographed way. Which presumably was intended to do two things this is absolute,
2: By the way, this is absolute gold For those listeners who are having sex
1: <laughs> Keep going Presumably uh, one was to prove They couldn't possibly have my wallet About their person yep. um, And the other was to make me think Oh wait, they pickpocketed you and then flashed you yeah, They, yeah, they
2: flashed you to like s- dazzle
1: you, you. No, no they, um, they sort of distracted me With a kind of is that, it, it, sounds, sounds like something out of Greek about. myth <laughs> yeah, hey. I felt my wallet being slid out of my pocket. Oh at my which gosh. point they walked casually away in unison, didn't all run off in different directions. That my my first tip yeah, when I when I gave them notes afterwards. Yeah, first <laughs> suggestion you said that's guys, not my wallet in my pocket, off. and I'm not pleased to see you. Run right <laughs> off in all different directions. Uh, I won't be able to to find you. Um, but yeah, they just casually walked off and then kept turning around and flashing. Um, I presume the other thing was to make me go, oh, this is horrible and weird, um, sex tourist, etc., etc. I better leave them alone. Well, but I wanted my wallet back, so I kept after them and I eventually got it back. Did you did get it back? Mm-hmm. Hero. they had no money in it, so I kept after them again, and then they returned probably not all, but most of the money. It was very it was the most incompetent piece of and bizarre mm-hmm. piece
0: of street theft. It he, is so street theatre. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty impressed that you got your wallet and your, most of your money back. Yeah. And and now he's married to one of them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, my the, question. I will, can I very quickly oh, say yeah. about the Keats House? Because um, it's, I, I've never been to... Well, actually, we went very briefly to Columbia, didn't we? Bob up in the top of Manhattan once. But I've, really, I've never been inside an American university otherwise. And um, that I think it's pretty much run by America, an American university or, or like a trust related somehow to America. The, the, the staff and the volunteers in there seem to be almost exclusively, if, if not Italian, American. And it's got a kind of slightly American-run vibe to it, the Keats House inside. But maintained with this sort of aura and atmosphere of that, uh, obviously respectful, sort of hush, but also this kind of academic vibe, uh, from, as I say, from sort of an American university. But uh, but yeah, a really really um, special, um, beautiful place to to visit. Anyway, just rubbing it in, David. Sorry, <laughs> that's really good. Right, yeah. Next it? time then. Yeah.
1: Right. My question. Um, I'm very relieved actually because you're. I thought you'd had my question for just for a second oh, then, wow. when you said something about. Mm-hmm. In being 20, I mean, my first actually, the first part of the question was going to be how old was Shelley when he died? That we covered Thain on yeah. He's 29, but thankfully, you didn't anticipate my question, which is I had a quick look. I'd normally research these quiz questions about a month in advance, uh, is one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> uh, and then for some reason, this, this slipped my mind until this morning, but I had a look at other famous people who died at the age of 29. Oh, it's wow. oh, a good question. There's an interesting list. It's
2: not like the 27 Club. Which, well, per- you know, right. This, I'm a the cast, Jimi Hendrix, so, Jim
1: Morrison. It know, turns out that 29, 29 is a little bit, a little bit like the 27 for rock stars, but for, for literary figures. Actually, there are a couple of fairly major rock stars who died at the age of 29 that you might want to throw in there. But there, you are Yes, Yes. Come on. Very good. Are you going to go for the other one? Oh, um... The other one, weirdly enough, I immediately thought of Phil it. it. Straight away, knew he was twenty-nine. No, he was a bit older. Mm. Uh, there's an earlier, an earlier. I mean, rock star is not quite the right word. Is it? There's a specific genre. Is American? How, uh, uh, my Hank Marvin.
0: I mean, not Hank. The Co- Hank Williams, I mean, Hank Williams, yeah. Williams very good, yeah. Okay, I'm going to go literary. So,
1: so yeah, there are two. Uh, one really major literary figure and a member of a literary, let's say, dynasty. Emily Bronte. So close. Charlotte Bronte. Not as close. She's yeah. definitely older than that.
2: Anne Bronte. Who so is Anne Bronte? Anne, Anne Bronte is 29. Third time's a
1: charm. And, and the other major literary figure who was 29.
0: At the wow. time of I, 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 I want to have a little think about this. So there may be a bit of dead air here. But it's not really dead air. It's stinking time air.
2: Well, the audience is going to be doing their own thinking.
0: Yeah. And while while thinking. you're... While,
1: <laughs> they're
0: not at it. Yeah. No, no, no. We're probably doing the washing up. Scrubbing a, 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 an oven tray. <laughs> Um, scrubbing an oven tray while making love.
2: <laughs> that's marriage in a nutshell. <laughs> uh, 29. Uh,
0: how old was Christopher Marlowe when he died? I can tell you if you like. To do to him. He
1: was 29. Is that the answer that, that the you're looking answer. for? Oh, come on. Um, very good in band. Yeah, that was. Didn't even give Robert no look in there. Yes, oh, good job did. there. Christopher Marlowe, 29 years old, famously died. How? And where? Well, he was killed in a pub brawl, wasn't he? Mm. Deptford. Deptford?
2: That being smashed in the face with a glass bottle or something?
0: Yeah, stabbed through the eye. Oh, stabbed right. through the eye. And oh, I it, yeah. Yes, and now is not the time or the place to go into various theories about it, but um, there are reams of literature on well, Herbert Lom wrote a book, didn't he? With, with, Herbert Lom, a lot of a lot of people mm. who you wouldn't expect. Herbert Lom wrote a book about Christopher? Yeah, called, about Marlowe being a spy. I think it was called something like, Marlowe, the spy. Yeah. I yeah. never read it. I think one of the theories is that he didn't die. Oh. Um, actually, I read something in the paper yesterday about this whole um, sphere, although what Marlowe, I don't think was mentioned, but um, it's Jacoby and Rylance again saying something about Shakespeare didn't write Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And Sir Stanley Wells said something like, this topic sadly attracts a lot of eccentric people or something. I can't remember how we got onto that, but what I will say is uh, the next section of the pod after the pub quiz is normally uh, to talk a little bit about Uh, the poet in this case Percy Bysshe Shelley and uh, his intersection uh, with our own lives and and, and a little bit of biography of Shelley as well such as we know well uh, he was born in 1792 just after the French Revolution which of course was uh, 1789 and he was born in Sussex in West Sussex did you say it was called you had the name of the place, was it Wareham? So it was somewhere... Warham Warham. It was somewhere sort of over, yeah, West Sussex, I mean, you know, between Horsham and Worthing, that sort of neck of the woods, maybe a little bit further over in sort of Arundel Triangle to quite a wealthy guy. And um, did he, I think he went to Eton, is that right? He did. And then up to Oxford, from which he was actually kicked out or sent down in the vernacular, for writing a book about being an atheist, which I guess this must have been. So, if he's born in ninety two, let's say he's eighteen, so we're talking about about eighteen ten during the during uh,
1: yeah uh, eighteen eleven March twenty fifth. Can be as specific as that. Okay, Necessity okay. of Atheism was the title of the Necessity of Atheism that he uh, distributed.
0: Yeah, do, you, do either of you boys want to weigh in at this stage with a bit of Shelley uh, facts? I, I don't have any. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't let that stop you. Uh, no, I mean I, I'm very hazy with Shelley. His his life and work, really. I mean, apart from knowing that he died young, knowing he was famously married to Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, who of course became Mary Shelley, who famously wrote Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, and knowing that there is a f- there are a few other colourful details about his private life and his behaviour towards his wives that don't sh- put him in a particularly good light. That's yeah, that's uh, that's about as much as I can as I can add.
0: Okay, well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, he he publishes a bit. Uh, he runs off to Switzerland with Mary Shelley, Byron, and um, uh, others, and. Uh, Yeah. And then um, he dies. Did we say it was 21, 1820? No, 1822. Sorry, 1822. So, I mean, Mary Shelley, it's famously the um, 1816 when they're on Lake Geneva, famously the year without a summer uh, in Europe. And I think it actually touched on America as well uh, because of the Mount Tambora. Um, volcanic explosion. You can
2: here. see. Listen to our earlier podcast on Byron, where we did the um, what was that poem called? The Bar- Dark, Darkness Dark by Byron, which was about the year without a summer, the kind of yep. a, apocalyptic
0: vision that he got from traveling yep. across Europe that year. That's right. Um, and then, so six years later, he's he's dead. Um, he he's left England absolutely, and dies in a dies in a, sa- a sailing boating accident uh, off the coast of Italy where he had gone to live uh, yeah. with Mary Shelley. I mean, there's obviously a huge amount to Shelley's biography. And I think i just go back to your point, David, which is I'm very hazy, have always been very hazy on Shelley. I think if I thought anything about him, I knew he'd written Ozymandias, and I thought of him principally probably as a, as a romantic lyric poet. And when we were approaching some of these big names, and I mean, obviously Shelley is canonically a big name... Yeah. It can be a bit, a bit difficult to get your to get your head around it all um, and find a way into it. And I have failed to do that in the run up to this podcast. Um, I have to say because a lot of his poetry, like Byron's, is very long. And I, I read I re- I, one of the poems we might talk about later. I read one of his long sort of we're talking sort of fifty pages here, uh, which obviously we're not going to read on the pod. And mm. yeah, I've I've, ne- I've never really known anything about Shelley at all. And hopefully that's going to change a little bit in the course of the next hour. The only poem of his I could have ever na- I could have named would have been Ozymandias. Any advances on that, chaps?
1: Uh, well, there's Adonai, which was the poem about the death of Keats. Keats, thank you. Um, which was read by Mick Jagger, uh, or part of it was uh, at the, uh, the high, 1969 hype power for Brian Jones. For Brian Jones, he died literally a few days earlier. I think that's the English Shelley, isn't it? He's not, perhaps, unlike most of his contemporaries, he's not got one big iconic work that everybody knows. He hasn't got like a rhyme Reim- of the Ancient Mariner, or a Don Juan. What's a, that? Giovin. Ozymandias. Is, Ozymandias is famous, but it's a, it's just a sh- sonnet. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. it's not it's something to build a reputation on. So yeah, he's a name, but yeah, people would struggle necessarily to go, ah, yes, of course, this is where he fits into the great tradition beyond being a romantic poet with a slightly rock and roll reputation that's that's kind of yeah where yeah. he is isn't he and i think he a bit like, maybe a bit like byron as well he hasn't i don't think he's as highly thought of by academics probably now as he used to be that's a bit of a speculation but i, don't, I doubt he's aged as well in the minds of your average literary professor as perhaps wordsworth keats
0: maybe coleridge yeah i think that's very true and in fact, in that, uh, just near where you're sitting, David, there's an anthology that I picked up, which was uh, selected by Kingsley Amos, probably in the, I would think, mid-80s, you know. Kingsley is asked by the publisher, could you select a few poems? Don't worry, mate, they're mostly out of copyright. It'd be a nice cheap book, it'd be quids in. And he says in the, I mean, the preface is only one page long, and he says there are no poems by Shelley in here. And I can't remember his exact wording, but it's basically him saying, because I don't like Shelley
2: does, does 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 Shelley make the um Larkin list of essential poets because Larkin was had a, was somebody you said there was a list that he
0: was the shelf the essential books on the every, essential books every on shelf. A, uh, well you'd have to turn around and find that required writing book by Larkin which is on that same shelf he's only, he's only got one in the rattle bag you said uh, well which w- is's w- he- no, well he hasn't he's only got Ozymandias and he's got a huge part of the Mask of Anarchy, which was the poem that I was referring to earlier, which oh, yeah. I have read. Yeah. And I mean the the Mask of Anarchy is a long, a long poem, um, and an extraordinary poem. And I think is um for sure a, a large part of where Shelley gets his reputation from. And all this stuff about you say with the rock star reputation only really became apparent to me when reading The Mask of Anarchy and thinking, right, this guy is radical and, you know, a real rock star. Yeah. To
1: Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin Mine eyes were dim with tears unshed. Yes, I was firm, thus wert not thou. My baffled looks did fear yet dread to meet thy looks. I could not know how anxiously they sought to shine with soothing pity upon mind. To sit and curb the soul's mute rage which preys upon itself alone, to curse the life which is the cage of fettered grief that dares not groan, hiding from many a careless eye, the scorned load of agony. Whilst thou alone, then not regarded, the thou alone should be, to spend years thus and be rewarded, as thou, sweet love, requited me when none were near, Oh, I did wake from torture for that moment's sake. Upon my heart thy accents sweet of peace and pity fell like dew. On flowers half dead, thy lips did meet mine tremblingly. Thy dark eyes threw their soft persuasion on my brain, Charming away its dream of pain. We are not happy, sweet. Our state is strange and full of doubt and fear. More need of words that ills abate, reserve or censure come not near our sacred friendship, lest there be no solace left for thee and me. Gentle and good and mild thou art, nor can I live if thou appear aught but thyself, or turn thine heart away from me, or stoop to wear the mask of scorn, although it be. To hide the love thou feel'st for me. Okay. To
2: Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin. Mine eyes were dim with tears unshed. Yes, I was firm, thus wert not thou. My baffled looks did fear, yet dread to meet thy looks. I could not know how anxiously they sought to shine. With soothing pity upon mine, To sit and curb the soul's mute rage Which preys upon itself alone, To curse the life which is the cage Of fettered grief that dares not groan, Hiding from many a careless eye The scorned load of agony. Whilst thou alone, then not regarded, thee, thou alone should be, to spend years thus and be rewarded, as thou, sweet love, requited me when none were near. Oh, I did wake from torture for that moment's sake. Upon my heart thy accents sweet of peace and pity fell like dew on flowers half-dead. Thy lips did meet mine tremblingly. Thy dark eyes threw their soft persuasion on my brain, Charming away its dream of pain. We are not happy, sweet. Our state is strange and full of doubt and fear. More need of words that ills abate, Reserve or censure come not near our sacred friendship, Lest there be no solace left for thee and me. Gentle, and good and mild thou art. Nor can I live if thou appear aught but thyself, Or turn thine heart away from me, Or stoop to wear the mask of scorn, Although it be to hide the love thou feelst
0: for me. Well, in this book it says that this poem which is entitled To Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, was composed in June 1814, uh, but it was published in his posthumous poems, 1824. His posthumous poems, incidentally, I believe, were compiled and edited by Mary. Mm -hmm. So this poem was not published in his lifetime.
2: Presumably, insofar as it's called To Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, it didn't need to be published. He could just hand it across the pillow, so to
0: speak. Yeah. Um, she chose to include it in, yep. his, in his in his posthumous poems, and uh, I think there were a couple of editions of his posthumous poems. But this is from the 18th.
2: Redacting, 20th. no doubt, all the references to her
0: boobs.
1: <laughs> well, there is a there is a redaction, or there is a, an omission of some kind. There
2: is there is a dot
1: dot which I'm dot, assuming yeah. is the same. obviously the same in yours, Rob.
2: Yes, whilst so thou alone, then not regarded the
1: uh, something, thou alone should be. That's one of the main reasons I chose this one. Just a, a, at a glance, I just saw that and thought, Well, oh, that's an interesting to- talking point, isn't it? Name, and maybe the missing there, word. There is a missing word. Yeah, maybe she couldn't read it, or she she'd blot it. Or a, a t- I'd like to think
0: one of her tears had fallen and yes, out. that's a nice idea. The something thou alone should be to spend years thus and be rewarded. So, what is going on in this poem? I mean, I, I, I may be wrong because I wasn't following it sufficiently closely, but I think um, he's upset at her. Yes, he's shouted at her. That's
1: definitely, hit the very strong words. Yeah. On his side. Yeah. Yes, I was firm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she's upset and he's gone away he's... and written this.
0: Yeah. I mean he's chosen that word carefully, hasn't he? Yeah, I was I was firm. That <laughs> 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 is euphemistic, to say the least. Yeah. And when he says my eyes were dim with tears unshed, he's saying he was upset. Personally, I was emotional. Mm. I mean I didn't actually cry. No. So I'm it may have appeared. Like I was just shouting at you, yeah. um, but actually I was quite um, I, I was quite upset myself. My baffled looks did fear yet dread to meet thy looks. I could not know how anxiously they sought to shine with soothing pity upon mine. So because crazy. he didn't look at her, he didn't realize how eager she was to soothe the
2: situation, yeah. bend things.
0: Yeah, to sit and curb the soul's mute rage which preys upon itself alone. The soul's mute rage. So he's saying that his soul has a mute rage, although he, he wasn't that mute in this. He was being firm. Yeah. He was being firm. He was giving expression to the soul's rage. Um, I do that sometimes. <laughs> to, to curse the life which is the cage of fettered grief that dares not groan.
2: So it's a self-destructive a, a thing he's identifying isn't it the soul's mute rage which preys upon itself alone yeah and it curses the life which is the cage of fettered grief that dares not groan so it's giving voice to these kind of inchoate horrors that lurk inside oneself uh, I, and normally I, he's managed he, he normally manages to keep that mm-hmm. bottled up
1: and mm-hmm. pressed down fettered fettered but there's another, one, there's another metaphor there's a, there's a burden the load of agony. Mm. The, scorn, the scorned or scorned load of agony, which he most of the time hides away.
2: Yeah, he hides from many a careless eye, people who don't really care about him. They don't see how agonised he is in his life about his uh, the cage of fettered grief. But she sees it, she understands him, and, he's, and she is eager to make things right for him and better for him, and instead he's been firm with her, the prick.
0: Oh, I did wake from torture... For that moment's sake. Sorry, I skipped ahead a little bit there, because I'm not quite sure. So everything so he's 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 shouted at her as you've just said. What's going on in the third stanza?
2: Well, this is the mystery word, isn't it? Whilst thou alone, then not regarded, the something thou alone should be, to spend years thus and be
1: rewarded as thou, sweet love, requited me when none were near. Something to do with she's the you know, the one person who knows him and understands him and and is there for him has been rewarded. Is it that? Yeah. He's, he's basically apologizing mm-hmm. for rewarding her for her loyalty, but with his obviously out of order behavior.
0: Yeah.
1: So, yeah, it's as close as he gets to a kind of, I'm really sorry that I've, you, you of all people are the, the victim of my, um, my rant, rage, my e- tantrums, euted, whatever. Yeah. Well, unmuted in this case, yeah, but yeah, the missing word is just so interesting, isn't it? So, do you think he just couldn't think of the right word? It, just, it seems more likely than that he's it was illegible,
0: and there could well be a note on this in in this other book. Illegible, I mean, illegible is possible,
1: it's possible, yeah.
0: But I mean, he's not just going to leave it blank, I don't see that as being I possible.
1: I quite like the idea that he's just, uh, I mean, he's, never he's quite decided what the right word is. Like, I can sort of imagine a a lot of Crossings Out. That's oh, it. That's oh, the oh. kind of. Because, it, as, as we've said, it's not like it was published. So he's just, no. this is, she's found this in a drawer. I mean, maybe he gave no, it No,
0: no, he, he gave it to her. In a birthday
1: card. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, is,
0: what do you think? You meant to give it to her? Never, never quite
1: finished it. This is
0: 1814. He gave it to her. What do you think? He, he then spent the rest of his life with her and said, and then never gave it to her? I don't mean, Maybe. Maybe.
1: I, I mean, it's a heat of the moment sort of um, poem, isn't it? It's a. It's yeah. It's what makes it so fascinating. It's not necessarily a great piece of work, but the incredibly revealing insight into the. When did they get married? Day, Is it they before
2: off, before or after they were married?
0: Well, presumably before, because she's Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. She's like 16 or something. Isn't she? I think she's yeah. 16 because I think she was 18 in the summer of 1816, the famous summer where they were staying on Lake Geneva at that famous how house, was she which wrote name I've forgotten. Yeah. yeah. When she was 18. Yeah. yeah. Jinkers. Oh.
2: I feel like me and all the listeners just said Jinkers at the same time just then.
0: I mean, it is a very mysterious uh, set of circumstances. I mean, she did write a couple of other novels, which I've never read, needless to say um Frankenstein is obviously extraordinary yeah, I, wonder, wonder. I mean she was with Shelley it reflects a lot of Shelley's interests and passions I'm not saying she didn't write it but it emerged from a context where she was obviously very day-to-day intimately engaged with Shelley and his ideas as well which possibly was just a spur to her imagination and maybe after his death you know she never quite well didn't they didn't they, didn't they have a competition or something where they all had
2: to write a uh... A, a horror story or yeah. something and the, the, like Geneva and Polidori wrote The Vampire uh-huh. and B- Byron wrote The Mummy. <laughs> 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 he wrote <"How> about Costello <laughs> he wrote <laughs> Costello with the killer <laughs>
1: Frank- Boris
0: Karloff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they did have a competition that's exactly right and then she turned hers into, into Frankenstein. Yeah. But yeah, she was young when this poem was written as we've just said probably 16 and as you said David it is interesting in that it's a real... Moment, isn't it, from their lives? Um, and that's what he did. He upset her. And um... are we happy with
1: the sort of tone here? Has he kind of got this right, do you think? To me, there's a kind of he's wrestling a bit here, isn't he, with some residual uh, upset and emotion, possibly anger, whatever it is that they've actually argued about or mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. got angry about. Yeah. And the other thing is. I'm dealing with a child. <laughs> Let's face it. There's a, quite a lot of that in here.
0: You're saying it's patronising.
1: Well, it's it's sort of, oh, how can I handle this? Am I handling it right? Am I handling you right? And yeah, there's you know, uh, oh, I've, I've a little bit of I forgot that you're just a gentle, doe-eyed, delicate creature. Yes, isn't there? Gentle and good
0: and mild thou art. Yes. The fourth stanza, I think, I quite liked, where he talks about, um, you know, the calming effect she generally has on him. Upon my heart, thy accents, sweet of peace and pity, fell like dew on flowers half dead. I mean, he's he's a self dramatizer. <laughs> I mean, I I, th- I think this is why Kingsley Amis doesn't like Shelley, and I think this is why people don't like Shelley because you know he died when he was twenty nine. He was a young guy. I mean, this yeah, is yeah, in eighteen a, fourteen. A he's He's, what did we say, was born in 92? Uh, so he's like 21, mm. you know. I mean, he's a young guy, a young, young guy. And I think that, that, that those aspects of the adolescent mind come through. And even in Queen Mab, which I would recommend anyone to read, although it is quite a slog because it is long, the one criticism you can have is, is this the product of an adolescent mind? Even though it's brilliant and obviously far better than any normal person could achieve, the sort of, the simplifications and the generalisations... You know, and the sort of certainty of it, and I, and I suppose what I'm saying is sort of related to what you're saying is, in this poem, yeah, maybe he hasn't got it all the tone all right, and yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah easy, easy, what makes it? He's a young guy, yeah, 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 yeah. He says, "Upon my heart, thy accent sweet of peace and pity fell like dew on flowers half dead. Thy lips did meet mine tremblingly. Thy dark eyes threw their soft persuasion on my brain." charming away its dream of pain like this is literally i am a tortured genius mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: but he
2: sort of was he's saying i'm deep and full of interesting pain and suffering it's very rock and roll really oh 100 percent. very rock and roll yeah yeah it's very my pain is more interesting than your pain because i'm so inherently deep And well that's
1: what i think he's wrestling with he sort of thinks that Yes, <laughs> well, my pay is for it. I don't think he's wrestling but that he's, hard. He's not quite. <laughs> Does he actually say that specifically? It's not, he doesn't say mine is worth more than yours. No, it's it doesn't more say, than it doesn't he It's that. obvious that he thinks that it is. Yeah, but he's sort of trying to acknowledge her own suffering at the same time. Yeah, just that obviously is on a different level to his.
0: Yeah. Stanza five again is, 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 is rock and roll, isn't it? We are not happy, sweet. Our state is strange and full of doubt and fear. Like we're we're living this crazy rock and roll life. Yeah. More need of words that ills abate. Reserve yeah. or censure come not near our sacred friendship, lest there be no solace left for thee and me.
2: That's quite romantic. We need each other. Let's stick together in the crazy bullshit of
0: the universe, yeah. So we don't he doesn't want in this relationship from her reserve. Yeah, with well, no shit. <laughs> yeah. Or censure.
2: Yeah.
1: I've just, I just, I just remembered a a, a sort of a fact I'm gonna do the air quotes that i uh 'cause I've been to Mary Shelley's the museum I think it was i don't know if it is actually the house in Bath right where she lived. it's literally two doors away from the Jane Austen Museum in Bath Wow uh okay. so you can do the both in a in half a day really I think they used to meet up and have sex by Jane Austen and Mary Shelley. <laughs> Get Paul in, Dacre on the in phone. the house in the middle. Yeah. Let's quickly make it clear. Yeah, that didn't happen. No, uh, Shelley and, and Young Mary uh, began, I think, their relationship by the graveside of her mother. I think. Wow, that is a thing that was is stated in this museum. It is believed. Okay, and uh, there's an all there's all manner of interesting psychological interpretations <laughs> that one can make. Yeah, from that about yeah. the sort of roots of their, you know, why they got together and how they got mm. together. and was He mar- he was married before her, wasn't he?
0: Yes. I, did he actually marry Harriet Westbrook? To so another very young yeah. girl. Yeah, but he was very young himself. <laughs> no, as young as that.
1: But yeah, OK, sure. And then afterwards, you know, basically Mary had a, a grim type. Well, I mean, so you
2: know, that, that is an extraordinary that. fact. I'm still mulling that fact. I mean, the idea that you're dating some... Sixteen-year-old, and you go, I've got a great idea about where we could go to for our for well, our, yeah. for our
1: second date, and not just I'll pick back your money. Great, one of the most influential sure. women in, uh, yeah, yeah sort of nascent feminism. Yeah, who died? She, yeah, she never knew her mother. She, um, she died a few days after young Mary was born.
2: Oh, is that right? I
1: didn't. Know. She, 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 she of the, the horrific lack of sanitation. It's just like the the doctor hadn't washed his hands. Basically, it was mm-hmm. the reason. Yeah, so she's got that
0: in her sort of
1: background through
0: her her, her mother had written The Vindication of the Rights of Women. Yeah. Probably in 1790 or something. Yeah, and isn't married
1: to Godwin, William Godwin, the sort of very liberal philosopher. So they famously are, you know, live together and have children, but aren't
0: married. Oh, I didn't know that. They're not Quite married, I feel. As well. Right, right.
1: right. Um, so there's a hell of a backstory to this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he comes across a bit whiny, actually, William Godwin, in something I was reading. After Shelley died, he keeps writing to her. I didn't read all the letters, but there's quite a lot of, you know, why didn't you write to me sooner and tell me what was going on and our relationship depends on you being open. And he seemed quite hands-on, wanted to be involved the whole time. Yeah, you know, fair enough, he was her dad. But, um, you yeah. know.
1: There's is the headline news. William Godwin,
2: whiny. Yeah, man. Um, right, no. let's crack on. We are not happy, sweet. Our state is strange and full of doubt and fear. More need of words that ills abate. A reserve or censure come not near our sacred friendship, lest there be no solace left for thee and me. Into the final stanza. Gentle and good and mild thou art. Now, nor can I live if thou appear aught but thyself. So he's saying, be true to yourself, isn't he? He's saying, you shouldn't change yourself for me. I just want you to be yourself. I couldn't live without you being yourself. But
1: yeah, and also the word scorn comes up for the second time. Yeah, or right there in the end, don't so don't, yeah, I I can't cope if you turn your heart away from me or stoop to wear the mask of scorn. He's the one who's has to kind of do the serious deep feeling, isn't
0: it? Um, I think he's just saying, don't don't look at me with that moody face, yeah. (laughs) Do you know what I mean?
2: And also, it's a a lot of the way if she if she criticizes him by wearing the mask of scorn, she's stooping.
0: Yeah, you're stupid. And also, what? what, what well, and, and also, awesome. the mask yeah. only is only is there uh, to hide. Yeah. the love thou feelest for me. So just don't wear that mask of, of scorn. I know you love it, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot getting on here that um, I mean, we're all married men. We can we can relate. To. I mean, the mask of scorn is quite a good, my good phrase, isn't it?
2: Yes. yes. Don't oh, Kerry, don't stoop to wear the mask of scorn, babe. Yeah, I know it only h- h- hides the love you feel for me. I'm dodging a cup of being <laughs> thrown across the kitchen. See, this is why maybe he didn't give it give it the time over. I think he would have given it. I mean, oh, I think if it was me, I would have sent it over as a paper aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> Just bounced into the side oh, of Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin's yeah. head.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> she, she's
0: unwrapping it. He's looking at her from across the room, raising his eyebrows. Yeah. He, he uh, uh I'm so, I wish I had, because I, I, I read this sort of thing it's a month or so ago now, I can't remember it. I'm pretty sure that Queen Mab came out around about this time, and it was a big hit. Right. This is him being a big, big star. And he's writing, I mean, she's getting this Pardon. She's like, wow, let's go to the Villa Donadati uh in Geneva. I mean, it's a good choice, and I think it says a few things about Shelley.
3: Yeah.
0: Sonnet, England, in 1819. An old, mad, blind, despised and dying king. Princes, the drakes of their dull race, Who flow through public scorn, Mud from a muddy spring, Rulers who neither see nor feel nor know, But leech-like to their fainting country cling, Till they drop, blind in blood, without a blow, a people starved and stabbed in the untilled field, an army which liberticide and prey makes as a two-edged sword to all who wield, golden and sanguine laws which tempt and slay religion, Christless, godless, a book sealed, a senate, time's worst statute unrepealed, Our graves from which a glorious phantom may burst To illumine our tempestuous day.
1: Once again, England in 1819. An old, mad, blind, despised and dying king. Princes, the dregs of their dull race, Who flow through public scorn, Mud from a muddy spring, Rulers who neither see nor feel nor know, But leech-like to their fainting country cling. Till they drop, blind in blood, without a blow. A people starved and stabbed in the untilled field. An army which liberticide and prey. Makes as a two-edged sword to all who wield. Golden and sanguine laws which tempt and slay. Religion Christless, godless. A book sealed, a senate. Time's worst statute unrepealed are graves from which a glorious phantom may burst to illumine our tempestuous day. That's a bit different, isn't it? Yeah. Although it's got the word scorn in it again. Yeah. It's like that, doesn't it? Yeah.
2: This seems quite inflammatory bit of republicanism, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I Absolutely. didn't realise this was uh, this was his vibe.
0: This is hundred percent. No, it's very
1: much so. I mean the hence the uh, the pamphlet on being a, on the necessity of being an atheist.
0: Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Is the first line against
1: directly from King Lear or is right. it my imagination? Oh wow. I mean it totally feels like it is. It does, yeah. But it might I mean I've definitely read the line before, but it might be that just because I, from there, from this part. Um It feels like the sort of thing we should look up. I'm going to and Dan right is now. Yeah,
0: doing that right now. If that is the case the only problem with it being from King Lear is that Lear is a kind of a sympathetic character, whereas he is not sympathetic to George III, to whom this... Oh, that's yeah, good point, of course. That's who he's
1: really alluding to, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it probably isn't then, is it? But you can't really not think about King Lear, can you? When you
0: Who is the king? Is this George III? George III? George III. George III was dying at this point because his son and the regent the regent became king in uh, 1820 right okay and so the this poem thing. is written in 1819 the regent is mentioned as well i think because doesn't he say the
2: princes the dregs of their dull race who flow through public scorn so he hadn't quite come down to brighton and built the pavilion at this point but he was yeah, yeah of course he had he had done of course because that was built by the prince regent not by not by before he was the
0: when he says they flow through public scorn, he means everybody hates them. Yeah, I know, yeah.
1: yeah. So this this is literally a year before George the Third's death. Yeah. Yeah, and he's mud from a muddy spring.
2: Oh well see, so he was already ruling at this point as as the regent. As the regent from eighteen
0: because yeah. the king was was just a, was old, mad, blind. I
1: mean, yeah, this is absolutely if there's gonna be a revolution in England this would have been this is this is the time, isn't it? This is perfectly the time. Yeah. I mean, I don't think of George the Third as, as despised, but I don't really know well yeah the fourth i do more much more because he was almost kind of symbolic of decadence and you know just all the rest of it so considering this is just literally decade or so after or two decades after the french revolution and you have got the american revolution as well it does seem ripe yeah, for revolution.
2: So, so. George the must have been on the throne for a long time. He, he was, he was yeah. from 1760. Yeah, cuz he the, the American War of Independence is 76. Yeah, so 1776 he was on the throne for that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so you got that, you got France, you've got uh the, the his madness and the regency. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. almost surprising.
0: Yeah. I uh, I just quickly say on this you said about how possibly unpopular George the was. I'm not sure because he, he uses his words probably quite precisely. Old, yes. Mad, yes. Blind, yes. Despised, it, 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 I think it's... Has, it, has the meaning of despised slightly evolved over the mm, two probably. centuries? Because yeah, doesn't despised mean more like looked down on and regarded as slightly worthless, as opposed to actively hated, yes, which it sort of has come right. to mean more now? Yeah,
1: I think I think that's definitely true.
0: And in, 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 in fact in terms of public of, in terms of public uh unpopularity, he reserves that for the prince. And yeah. his brothers. Because it wasn't just the prince, was it? Because his brother became William the Fourth, who was the Duke of Yeah, whatever yeah. at the time.
2: Well it's pretty full full throated, isn't it? I mean, rulers who neither see nor feel nor know, but leech like to their fainting country cling till they drop blind in blood without a blow. I mean that's pretty... Right on, man. Yeah, pretty definitive (laughs) statement. And then the people, looking the other way, are people starved and stabbed
0: in the untilled field? Possibly Peterloo? massacre. Yeah, there was a couple of... Peterloo was 1819. Oh, really? And the Mask of Anarchy, which I wrongly said earlier on, uh, because I'd read Queen Map. the Mask of Anarchy, I have also read, but it's much shorter. Uh, The the, the, the Mask of Anarchy is about, is a response to what Peterloo basically, sort of... Same same sort of gravy as this. Uh, but but Queen Mab is like this, times 10. It's so aggressive towards the monarchy. And the imagery is so extreme, as, as it is towards the organised church, as it is towards politicians in general. So, I mean, this is where he's coming from. And Queen Mab apparently was privately printed by the sort of proto-chartists. And it became a sort of a Bible for the reformers, sort of underground circulation. Right. And uh, this was very much of a piece with it. Yeah. So this is like the this is like the uh, the short version of the re-
2: Peterloo yeah. response. Yeah. Got it. An army, whom liberty side, yeah,
0: and prey, makes as a two edged sword to all who wield. Not hundred percent sure about that. Obviously, liberty side. Yeah, that was his one of their big ideas, wasn't it? Um, liberty.
3: Yeah,
2: and so the army is the opposite of the revolutionary spirit of liberty. Yeah. And pray, that's P-R-E-Y, by the way, listener. Yeah. An army whom liberty side and pray makes as a two-edged sword to all who wield. Hmm. Golden and sanguine laws which tempt and slay. But it's hopeful at the end, isn't it? It's a hopeful poem, ultimately, yeah. saying that from this chaos, these are all gr- graves from which a glorious phantom may burst to illumine our tempestuous day. So the phantom would be, I suppose, essentially revolution would be, you know, a revolution in land, what the French or the Americans had just done and they would be...
0: Yeah. And to be honest, what he said came to pass. In other words, the political agenda of liberty is the political story of the 19th and to some extent 20th and possibly even 21st centuries, isn't it? It's get rid of these blood-sucking princes and godless sealed book religion. And let's have liberty to illumine our tempestuous day. For the international listener and anyone else like
2: me who doesn't know what you're talking about, what what has changed since 19, uh,
0: 1819? Well, was it the, uh, was it the Reformation yeah. Act. Is that what it was called? The um... The Great Reform Act, of 1831, yeah. and 1832, and 1856, and the Fourth Reform Act of 1884. Whatever. So, I mean, just in 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 specific political terms, the extension of the franchise because of course these people at Waterloo did not have the vote. Peterloo. Sorry, at Peterloo. No. no, nor did they have it at Waterloo of course, but uh, Peterloo, sorry in 1819. So I mean the extension of the franchise is part of it. Yeah. What does that mean? I mean making these changes to the, the electoral system is part, is part of the liberty agenda isn't it? But the rest of the liberty agenda is not being so beholden to these leech-like monarchs and them having political power, which obviously you could argue has come to pass that they no longer do, the centrality and power of the church. I mean, although that does go back up in Victorian England. So Shelley loses, in a way, that argument. But long-term, he wins, doesn't he? Because by 1920, so 100 years later, by 1919, it's all over, isn't it? I mean, nobody believes anymore. So... You Know that's part of the of his of his liberty agenda, yeah. And also, I mean, I think there are elements of you yeah, know just the sense of, of independent personal freedom, which you don't experience in a much more restricted social code, political and economic, narrow sort of tram ways that under which people are living their lives. He was adopted by, as I say, the the chartists and stuff. That's why I bought this Roger Wells book. Oh, yeah, because this is all about it. This see, this book is called insurrection the british experience 1795 to 1803 and it's all about plots revolution and i mean obviously his big thing was and and all these working class post-war historians their big thing was yeah you've been lied to the real history of england isn't the history of queen victoria's parties and children the real history of england is pubs and dockers and insurrections which have all been conveniently forgotten conveniently forgotten yeah a
2: book which your author told us once was like having a shit in public <laughs> oh wow
1: yeah <laughs> great quote why did he say that
2: <laughs> my father asked him how is it how is How was it like having your book published he said it's like having a shit in public
0: <laughs> that was the exact con- context okay. for that uh, no, further explanation <laughs> yeah well, I, well, I was a bit impressed that you said that so lightning fast when I showed you it he went oh there that's the sh- that must be the shitty added public that's that's what first... i would remember from that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so you know i'll very quickly say you know to our listeners i mean if you're still with us on this one um red shelley is a 1980 book by paul Fur, and the british poet benjamin zephaniah has gone i think on tour reading shelley's um work because basically there is so much hardcore sort of Radical revolutionary sentiment expressed in. Jones okay, well, this probably. is this is massive. This is something we did
2: not talk about when we were introducing Shelley, and I didn't know until this moment that he right. was a agit-prop, spouting hardcore yeah. libertarian, yeah. free thinker, yeah. um, kicked who, out of the country, who wasn't having who wasn't having quiet opinions
1: about it, but was writing epic poems about Peterloo. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was okay, expected his was among his brethren, wasn't it? He wrote disapproving things to Wordsworth, for example, uh, along the lines of why have you gone so Tory, basically? Why have you you sold out, man? Right. Uh, you're such a disappointment to me. Right.
2: Um, Was he a friend of Wordsworth? I don't know, but he would have looked up to him. As a I mean, I can only say his mate Byron called Wordsworth Curdsworth. Yeah, That's well, exactly. discussed. Yeah, so that
1: generation, they're the second sort of generation of romantics, aren't they? Shelley sure. Byron uh, are after um, Wordsworth coleridge and are unhappy about the sort of conservative turn that those guys supposedly took. At work And Where's so? Keats fit in there Dead. I mean, well, that's just sort the of thing, isn't it? He's yeah, he's early. is he early well, yeah, does Keats die? Uh, does he die uh, die before? He,
0: he must die before Shelley, yeah, does, Shelley writes Adonis Shelley. about him, doesn't he? So yeah,
1: he, he dies. Before, yeah. 18, 19, 19 maybe. Ago. But Keats isn't really revolutionary. No. Is it? Keats isn't isn't really political, is he?
0: I no I don't know I've read enough of Keith's stuff but can I just I've just opened Queen Mab at random I'll just read you a little bit Let's have it. Is it basically in Queen Mab there's this fairy chariot arrives on earth and goes up to heavens the outer cosmos and they look back down on earth but they also see the crystal fantasy palace in the edge of the universe it's, it's far out man it's far out is it strange that this poor wretch should pride him in his woe take pleasure in his abjectness and hug the scorpion that consumes him Uh, sorry because i haven't introduced who this is but is it strange that placed on a conspicuous throne of thorns grasping an iron scepter and immured within a splendid prison whose stern bounds shut him from all that's good or dear on earth his soul asserts not its humanity that man's mild nature rises not in war against a king's employ No, tis not strange. He, like the vulgar, thinks, feels, acts and lives just as his father did. The unconquered powers of precedent and custom interpose between a king and virtue. Stranger yet to those who know not nature nor deduce the future from the present, it may seem that not one slave who suffers from the crimes of this unnatural being, not one wretch whose children famish and whose nuptial bed is earth's unpitying bosom, rears an arm to dash him from his throne. Those gilded flies that, basking in the sunshine of a court, fatten on its corruption. What are they? The drones of the community. They feed on the mechanic's labour. The starved hind for them compels the stubborn glebe to yield its unshared harvests. And yon squalid form, leaner than fleshless misery that wastes a sunless life in the unwholesome mine, drags out in labour a protracted death to glut their grandeur, Many faint with toil, that few may know the cares and woe of sloth, etc. Everybody else! <laughs> Next line. Whence thinkst thou kings and parasites arose? Whence that unnatural line of drones who heap toil and unvanquishable penury on those who build their palaces and bring their daily bread? From vice... Black, loathsome vice, from rapine, madness, treachery, and wrong, from all that genders misery and makes of earth this thorny wilderness, from lust, revenge, and murder. And when reason's voice, loud as the voice of nature, shall have weight to the nations, and mankind perceive that vice is discord, war and misery, that virtue is peace and happiness and harmony, when man's mature nature shall disdain the playthings of its childhood, kingly glare will lose its power to dazzle. Its authority will silently. I think, spot. I think we've lost Dan to <laughs>
2: <laughs> to Queen. Uh, no, amazing. That's that's big stuff. That's yeah. huge. So so on the one hand he's writing um, m- m- moon calf love letters to his missus. On the other <laughs> hand he's writing blood soaked agitprop prop yeah. saying down with the fucking toffs, yes. off with their heads. Yeah. Sweet. I like this guy. I really like this guy. Okay, yeah, that's a whole new perspective. I didn't have.
1: Yeah, great. Can I um, just add a bit of well, just to throw in something about the last line that we mentioned. Uh, you said it's a, it a hopeful ending. He sort of comes; well, he appears to come quite quite quickly to a hopeful conclusion in what is a sonnet, and that, yeah, an angry first half gives way to a relatively optimistic ending, but um, does it because. If you illumine a tempestuous uh, tempestuous day, you don't actually improve it necessarily, isn't it? just sort of shining more of a light on something that's still bad.
0: Well, that's. uh, that's,
1: It it might just be a bit. It's a bit of a mixed metaphor.
2: It's not illumining our dark day, is it? So it's saying that. No, I think he's saying. I I know what he he means.
1: He means brightening up our day. Yeah.
2: It's, just str- it's a ray of sunlight in the darkness of this bullshit yeah. situation that we've managed to paint a corner we've painted ourselves into by giving huge amounts of power to the church and state at the expense of the liberty of individual people who are basically working drones, being used and abused by huge economic and political and social forces which are not working in their best interest and that we need to collectively rise up, join arms in brotherhood against the parasites and leeches
0: so this is this asked. is the mask of anarchy yeah this is what he says exactly yeah yeah Thank you.
2: yeah i agree <laughs> down with the fucking tops um your,
0: out. Your, your point david i think is a good one and a fair one because i think it isn't as unequivocally upbeat i mean it's saying it will illumine whatever illumine means i mean obviously literally it means make light but um it's going to be a tempestuous day so i mean there's a struggle
1: Yeah, absolutely. I also think it just sort of is kind of illustrative of there's a sort of imperfection about Shelley, and uh, which is maybe kind of adds a bit to his charm. Mm. So, you know, the missing word in the previous poem, the you know, did he quite ever settle on exactly the right word this time? It just feels like it's just a little bit of a teeny bit of a mixed metaphor that doesn't quite
0: work, but there's something kind of impassioned. There was about being impassioned about that, and I think that is—I mean, these are perhaps to rehearse some cliches about sort of Shelley's uh, the way he's perceived, but I think that they are true. That he's impassioned, mm. but not you know necessarily um, the sort of uh, the craftsman who takes a lot of time. He's not going to take seven years to write the Wits and Weddings. He's going to write it and that's it. I've written it.
1: One of the things I vaguely remember reading about him that's just suddenly come back to me is that he was unbelievably well read. Uh, you know obviously you sort of expect it I mean in those days there wasn't that much available to most of what had been published was probably available to him yeah at Oxford or wherever but I seem to remember that uh, reading that which which seems a little bit surprising like you might expect that of Wordsworth or Coleridge perhaps but Shirley seems a bit more activist than just to be sitting around consuming other people's ideas.
0: I mean, this is where, also where Frankenstein I don't know I'm sure you're fairly familiar with Frankenstein. Um, you know, a lot of the first part of Frankenstein is a sort of a discussion, isn't it, and about the excitement of reading Paracelsus and reading these outre philosophers from Europe and so on. Yeah. And, and I, th- I, th- I think yeah, how, whether he read the whole of the book or whether he, he sk- I don't know, but he had a lot of references. He obviously was very passionately wanting to be abreast of European political and philosophical and scientific. Ideas, yeah, he was very well read. I read something that he was bullied badly at school. Uh, this was like a psychological interpretation that maybe this b- part of his anti authoritarianism. I don't know if I buy that. I mean, he's a rich, good looking guy. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it couldn't have been that bad.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so he was pals with Byron, yeah, he's pals with Byron. Byron's a lord. Yeah, what's Byron's take on all of this? Off with their heads, malarkey. He's
1: agreeing with that. Good one. So I, don't, mean, I, I don't know, but I mean, I would imagine he agrees. Yes. Yeah. Can, can he do anything about his own background and status and whatever? I suppose not. Have not, to not the bear the <laughs> I mean, I think, well, I think I think
0: maybe you've answered your own question there because I mean Byron was interested in these. I mean, he was doing his own thing, wasn't he? Byron wasn't bothering to write lengthy, like topical agitprop, as you've called it. But I think it would be fair to say that Byron would have respected Shelley's visionary qualities, his personal magnetism, his celebrity... So I guess, I mean, I'm trying to think of the, of, the, of the modern example of which I'm sure there are hundreds, you know, they've both been on top of the pop, so they become, they become buddies yeah. um, and go on holiday together.
1: We, we have to think of the modern example now.
0: Paul McCartney being great friends with David Gilmore. Uh, 100%. Night by Percy
2: Bysshe Shelley. Swiftly walk o'er the western wave, spirit of night, Out of the misty eastern cave, where all the long and lone daylight. Thou wovest dreams of joy and fear, which make thee terrible and dear. Swift be thy flight. Wrap thy form in a mantle grey, star inwrought, Blind with thine hair the eyes of day. Kiss her until she be wearied out, Then wander o'er city and sea and land, Touching all with thine opiate hand. Come, long sought. When I arose and saw the dawn, I sighed for thee. When light rode high and the dew was gone, And noon lay heavy on flower and tree, And the weary day turned to her rest, Lingered, like an unloved guest, I sighed for thee. Thy brother death came and cried, Wouldst thou me, thy sweet child's sleep, The filmy-eyed murmured like a noontide bee, Shall I nestle near thy side? Wouldst thou me? And I replied, No, not thee. Death will come when thou art dead. Soon, too soon. Sleep will come when thou art fled. Of neither would I ask the boon I ask of thee, beloved knight. Swift be thine approaching flight. Come soon,
0: soon. Tonight, 1821. Swiftly walk o'er the western wave, spirit of night, Out of the misty eastern cave, Where all the long and lone daylight Thou wovest dreams of joy and fear, Which make thee terrible and dear. Swift be thy flight, Wrap thy form in a mantle grey, Star in wrought. Blind with thine hair the eyes of day, Kiss her until she be wearied out, Then wander o'er city and sea and land, touching all with thine opiate wand. Come, long sought. When I arose and saw the dawn, I sighed for thee. When light rode high, and the dew was gone, and noon lay heavy on flower and tree, and the weary day turned to his rest, lingering like an unloved guest, I sighed for thee. Thy brother Death came and cried, Wouldst thou me? Thy sweet child sleep, the filmy-eyed, "'Murmured like a noontide bee, "'Should I nestle near thy side? "'Wouldst thou me?' "'And I replied, no, not thee. "'Death will come when thou art dead. "'Soon, too soon. "'Sleep will come when thou art fled. "'Of neither would I ask the boon I ask "'of thee, beloved knight. "'Swift be thine approaching flight. "'Come soon.' Soon. I mean, great choice. I love it. It's a good poem, isn't it? It's nice. I love it 100%. I like murmured like a noontide bee. That's lovely. Beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, it's very difficult to read this poem knowing that he died within the year. Oh, it's 1821. He dies in 1822. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a bit like he... Intimations of mortality... Yeah. Although that is only a, one strand of the poem, because the death bit is is limited to those two stanzas near the end. Yeah. The rest of it is just he wants it to be nighttime. Why, David, does he want it to be nighttime?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Is it that he wants to be asleep? Because no. it, it seems no. to me to yeah that he explicitly rules the, that uh, out. Sorry. He, he does. does. Uh, yeah, absolutely. says, so no. not just a kind of oh, please give me some kind of uh, rest, solace, respite. Um, is there a bit of a kind of I'll sleep when I'm dead um, conclusion or did I it felt like he was heading that way and then actually at the end he, t- he says I still want it to be the night time as soon as possible but there's this kind of a, oh well, I will be dead soon anyway so
0: maybe uh, let's sh-
1: shouldn't we sort of extend the...
0: but that is given really as an aside yeah and I think the reason why he treats both death and sleep is to rule them out as reasons why he wants it to be night. Okay. I mean, doesn't he say that? Thy brother death came and cried, Wouldst thou me? Like okay, it's like if you if you want death if you want night so badly, is it that you want to die? Right, yeah, sure. And he says And I replied, No not thee. Death will come when thou art dead, addressing himself, soon too soon, as an aside. Like I will die, and I guess what you mean. Yeah, soon, too soon. Doesn't have to be immediately. It just means whenever it comes, it's soon, too soon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then he says, death will come, sleep will come, but I don't ask them what I'm asking of you. Yeah, I don't want them
2: to come to me now. No, I just I don't want, want sleep. Night. I don't want to sleep, and I don't want to die. I just want night. And it's quite mysterious because I w- neither would I ask the boon I ask of thee. What is that boon?
0: It's quite unclear, but. Well, boon's something positive and good, isn't it? Yeah, no, exactly,
2: yeah.
0: Like, the boon is what you give me. when no, I know not. what a
2: boon is, but what is the boon of, of of Knight? He's saying, I don't ask... Yeah. Like, why Why does he want it to be Knight? That's the question he asks. Because he's a romantic poet. He's a romantic poet. I
1: think that is the ro- answer, so, yeah. He feels more comfortable at night. Yeah, exactly. And more... Uh, I had uh, to have more of a kinship yeah. With, yeah. with with Knight than uh, oh, yeah. There's a we did the Robert Frost uh, acquainted with the night mm. poem then I it? am one acquainted with the night I am yeah. one acquainted with the night but that's
0: yeah, that's a good reference in the sense that in the Frost poem, the night is a kind of potentially dark and scary place, but also it's it's a psychological position, isn't it? It's quasi-mystical in this poem, less so in the Frost poem. So to
2: jump straight in here, but the opening stanza, yeah, swiftly walk o'er uh, the western wave, spirit of night, easy peasy, line one, yeah, out of the misty eastern cave, yeah, okay. So he's coy, summoning the the night yeah. to to come towards him over from the from the, uh, uh, and then this third line and fourth line and fifth line, I don't understand what the sense of it is. Where comma, all the long and lone daylight thou so wovest been... dreams of joy and
1: fear so the night has been weaving dreams of joy and fear oh during the hours of i daylight. see during the long and lone daylight where all
2: so in the east, misty eastern cave during the long and lone daylight night thou yeah. wovest dreams of joy and fear which make thee terrible and dear swift be thy flight oh so it's like night has been off in the manufacturing process of creating dreams of dreams of weaving dreams it's the dream weaver and then it's been ma- manufacturing all these dreams off in this cave and he wants to have those dreams he wants the night to come as quickly as possible so that he can have whatever the night is as re- has wrought in its
1: cave yeah yeah and it can be joy and fear uh, uh, and th- he has this totally conflicting attitude towards it but he wants it to happen soon and as soon as possible yeah which make the terrible and dear yes terrible and
2: dear joy and fear mm. that's that's it isn't it the joy is dear and the fear is terrible but you but want either way what those he you want wants the extremity, extremity yeah you yeah, want extremes of experience and emotion and that's something you can only get at night yeah because the day is boring
1: yeah
0: i love this and i've got a feeling that star in wrote, as a compound adjective I've got a feeling that inwrought is quite a Shelley word. You mentioned scorn earlier on, David. I've got a feeling that he, he quite liked inwrought. What does it mean? Star inwrought. Well, it's like, um, imagine a blanket and you've sort of sewed sequins onto it. It's like that, isn't it? Wrap thy form in a mantle grey. So the mantle is the cover and cloak. Yeah. And, cloak. and it's star inwrought. So it's the night. Is the is the is the is the
2: the the dome of oh, sky, yeah. so a mantle a, of sky, sequins. that's going to be studded with
3: yeah, stars. stars.
2: Blind with thine hair, the eyes of day. Kiss her until she be wearied out. Then wander o'er city and sea and land, touching all with thine opiate wand. Come,
0: longsword. I mean, this is what I thought Shelley would be like. Yeah. Before I realised, the other side of Shelley. Yeah. And it's not disappointing. This is a brilliant lyric
2: poet. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's super beautiful. Yeah. Really tightly metered, really tightly
0: rhymed. Yeah. And just oozing this kind of... At all. Yeah. This personification of night, this personification of all of these other things, but it gives the universe a kind of spirituality, doesn't it? Yeah.
2: So the rhyming scheme is A, B, A, B, C, C, B. Wave, night, cave, Light, fear, dear, flight. That's all tightly rhymed like that all the way through. Yeah. Yeah, with these really short lines. With the very, it's very short. And ones. the short measure on near lines two and seven.
1: Uh, seven. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, formally it's extremely tightly wound. Where it seems to suddenly kind of gasp out something that's much more kind of yeah. exclamatory. Yeah.
2: Th- thy brother so death death came and it's... cried, wouldst thou me? So wouldst thou me is line two. Thy sweet child sleep, the filmy eye had murmured like a noontide bee, shall I nestle near thy side? Wouldst thou me? And I replied, final line, no, not thee.
0: I'm I, massive fan of poems that end with repetition. Yeah, man, too, me
2: too. Come soon, soon. Really? That feels like keening and beseeching and earnest as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is like... I mean, I sometimes think about this with some poems. I mean, this is the sort of... This is what people think poetry is, isn't it? It's it's, high, like, heightened visionary state. You know, when people used to believe in metaphysics and there was such a thing as poetry, this is what it was. Yeah. And, and there's a kind of almost a metaphysical, spiritual multi-meaning to what night is, isn't it? It's not just, I want it to be night because I like EastEnders and EastEnders is on at night. It's quasi-magical meanings of, of what night is.
2: But also that it needs no explanation why he wants it to be night. No. He doesn't explain, as I say, he doesn't explain what the boon is. He doesn't explain what the benefit is. No, it's he breeders. just sort of says oh,
1: it's not because of that, doesn't he? Rather than it's because of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's not to do with just, death. Just in case you're assuming
1: it's because, with... yeah. yeah, I'm welcoming death. No, that's not it. It's I mean, dream.
0: I've dream. been Dreams up all the night death. on this laudanum. I just want to get to sleep. Oh my God, it's dawn, it's freaking six o'clock. In <laughs> Your
2: the morning. opiate wand, yeah. yeah, there's definitely a slightly druggy, drug infused vibe about it. Again, it is incredibly rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can imagine Jagger Richards yeah. being huge fans of this
0: Oh, of oh, oh, Keith, listen to this.
2: You're not going to believe this. You're not,
0: not going believe this. No, no. Sorry.
2: They're down in their castle in <laughs> yeah, France recording yeah. Exile and Main Street. Yeah. Okay. No, he even said, no, no, he does. He's <laughs> touching all with an opiate one.
1: Yeah. Can you believe that, Keith? I was, I listened to paint it black yesterday it to come on the radio and and proper I, I think i mean i had thought of those lyrics before but those are extraordinary mm-hmm. lyrics
2: there, there's an amazing 66 there's an amazing interview where um keith <laughs> keith talks about writing that and he says he's talking in general about songwriting and he goes well what we do is like i come up with an idea for a song like for example i might say i see a red door and I want to paint it black. And I go, oh, yeah, there's something there. That's good. So I come up with the cords and, like, the hook. And, like, I see a red door and I want to paint it black. And then I say, I make fill that in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> it takes the entire credit. Yeah, really. So he yeah. fill that in. has the idea of... Yeah, what the song's about, and then Jagger picks it up rather than the yeah, so comes to the, the
2: things, I don't know if it's always the same. Probably no. not. Obviously, they've been doing it a long time, haven't they? But the um, but I it, 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 that was the uh, that's what Keith is saying is he comes up with the kind of kernel of it, mm. and then all of the tweening, the you know
1: the, the 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 verses. Um, but yeah, but I mean, this is so Keith Richards, yeah. Yeah, who famously sleeps in the day and is. Yeah, stays uh, awake. Uh, and yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. has an opiate wand. <laughs> yes, she <laughs> yes, She's got a few of them, I reckon. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, it's, the, this poem is basically saying,
1: I see a red door. Yeah. I want to paint it black. Yeah. For years, I thought it was, I see a window and I want it painted black. It's, if you listen to it, it sounds a bit like he says window. I want black. But in some ways, I think it's better.
0: Well, there we go. Yeah, those three poems by Shelley. I hope you enjoyed that, listener. I mean, I I'm not any further, but actually, I am further with my where, where I was with, at with Shelley because not to reiterate it. Obviously, we've discussed his revolutionary side, but that the lyric beauty of that last poem was fantastic, and the sort of immediacy of the Mary Shirley of the Mary Wollstonecraft one as well, yeah. when it revealed a kind of a, a working poet in the midst of a, a, an actual scenario. And I also liked a lot of what he said, and I'll be saying some of it to Philippa later. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, but no, but
2: I think once again, we've always feel this way, don't we? We've kind of happened upon three great, um, different examples of the, of the work because we've got the written on a beer mat and passed across the table to a weeping girlfriend mm-hmm. poem grey as you say sort of torn from life mm-hmm. a snapshot of line mm-hmm. then we've got the soapbox agitprop of the uh middle one which was called england in 1819 18- 19,
0: yeah sonnet england in 1819
2: yeah, yeah and then and then we've got that last one which is a um yeah a bit of visionary almost occultism.
1: yeah and close to his to his death as well yeah always kind of important i think to try and span the yeah. Span the career and life. Yeah, we've done the personal and political. It worked out really well. Well done everyone. Have you ever actually written a poem on a beer mat and passed it to a weeping girlfriend? Well, today. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
2: probably. Yeah. it sounds like the sort of thing I might do. Yeah, it does, yeah. yeah, have a weeping girlfriend in a pub.
1: The problem uh, with it's one thing having a weeping girlfriend in a pub, but there's another thing writing a poem yeah. to yeah. her on a beer mat and passing it to her. That's the next level. Yeah.
2: I did, I did once write a poem about a girl, and then, I mean, legitimately, like, accidentally it dropped out of my pocket in her house, and then she found it, and then really thought that I had intentionally done it, and then I was really, like, kind of going, no, no, you weren't really supposed to read that, I wasn't, and she was like, oh, really, though, oh, really? I was like, no, no, honestly, I just, like, oh, shit, it was really weird, it was like this thing where I kind of accidentally slid it across the table to it.
1: Well, this is, like, the kind of it was, the, the, the things to speculate on, isn't it, to do with... That one. Yeah, was it really written? Or did she, was she find supposed it? it? She's she supposed any... to find it. Did he definitely? I mean, yeah. obviously, he probably did, like you said, but.
2: Or did it? was it originally untitled? She found it and went,
1: that's probably to me.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, she that was, was great editing all of his posthumous
1: poems. She, she? She, she redacted did that it? word that yeah. made it quite clear that it wasn't. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. thou <That> Italian. <laughs> Man. Yes. Yes. Um, well thank you very much, um boys, for uh joining uh, on the pod today. Um and to 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 listeners for, for joining us. Um we are going to uh have you got anything for Choo Choo recommendation station? I'm gonna to go to David because I think he probably does. Um I did watch a film which I
1: thoroughly enjoyed last night, which I'd been aware of for some time, um, host which uh, I I was strongly in favour of watching this film and heard good things about it. It's basically a horror film, a lockdown horror film about a bunch of friends who, during lockdown, have a séance over Zoom, and um, mm-hmm. it's uh, likeably short for a start. It's literally just over an hour long. It's, it's a really impressive host. Yeah, um, it's a really impressive piece of work. I you know I thought oh, this would probably be quite enjoyable, and it like, scared me. It actually did genuinely mm. quite alarm me in a in a really pleasing way, which doesn't happen that often. Uh, also, just quickly, completely differently, uh, Colin from Accounts, which has been recommended to me by a couple of people and I've got around to watch the first few episodes. It's a TV show, yeah? It's, uh, yeah, it's on the iPlayer. Uh, it's Australian. It's an Australian oh, it? sort of comedy drama series. Okay. Very, very likable. Very amusing. Genuinely, strongly. Yeah, it's not about a guy called Colin from Accounts, for a start.
0: Well, the last time you recommended something, it was The te- Detectorists, which turned out to be absolutely amazing. So I'm going to give that it's not; an, It's not a entirely different
1: vibe. It's a bit more kind of obvious comedy than that. But it's, it's sort of lovely and humane. Yeah.
0: I'm going to just jump in and say something I've never done before in Recommendation Station, which you might think is a bit of a cop-out. But I am going to recommend you read Queen Mab, because uh, that is, um, mm-hmm. as, a, as I've intimated, uh, you, I, I was literally, I mean, Philippa doesn't... He's pulling rank, he's actually read some Shelley. <laughs> not, really,
2: not very sporting. Philip, he's, he's already read it to us anyway, hasn't he?
0: I've read you a bit. I mean, I was literally going up to the kitchen and saying, oh my God, you've got to read this bit because it's like, I couldn't believe how... And you realise how influential... I mean, Shelley said, you know, which is one of the reasons why people like Kingsley Amis hated him. Shelley famously said, poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world, which sounds a bit, you know, but I think he was... Anyway, so he's definitely slid that on a beer mat over to Mary. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> she was giving him a shot, writing him a shopping list. He was yeah. like, wait a second, I'm busy. <laughs> just,
0: yeah. Okay.
2: What, what have you got? I'm in a pattern of watching 1930s screwball comedies in oh, her oh, 40s. Okay. I'm doing Preston Sturgis. So I've just done The Miracle Morgan's Creek. Oh, nice. I Hail the Conquering Hero, yeah. the Eddie Bracken pair, which are both amazing. And now I've got into a Gene Arthur rut. So I've just done, uh, Easy Living, 1937, written by Preston Sturges, Belter, Absolute Corker, and uh, that's uh, a mink coat, sable coat, it's thrown from a rooftop and changes the life of a working-class shop girl type of thing, played by Jean Arthur. What's that one called, sorry? Easy Living, Easy 1937, Thanks. yeah, peerless comedy cast, absolutely everybody in it. it's amazing. So I've been doing a whole load of those, I'm, I've just done The Talk of the Town with Carrie Grant and Jean Arthur as well, yeah. So I'm in a on my train journeys to and from work I've been just
0: soaking up top recommendations can't be
2: nineteen thirty screwball
0: comedy thank you very much listener for joining us it's goodbye from me (laughs) and
3: it's goodbye from him (laughs) and
2: goodbye from those two